Welcome to Podcast 1999, the podcast about Space 1999 from mm. the year 1975. The first 1999 you said sounded weird, like you weren't sure that was the year, but it's a pretty easy year to remember, I think. But it's weird because the year 1999 is like closer to the year 1975 than it is to the year 2023. Well, so are the styles of the show, so it works out okay. I think these styles, of the, these styles of the show are timeless. Oh, they're great, but they definitely smell of the seventies too, right? It's like the best of the seventies, like it's the contemporary resort timeless. at Disney World or something. <laughs> the smellest, <laughs> which isn't contemporary at all now. Now it's like super retro future. <laughs> I definitely remember riding the monorail last time I was at Disney World, which was ten years ago, and feeling like. Not only did I feel like the monorail was going to break down, but I felt like the hotel was going to fall apart while I was in the monorail station. <laughs> but did it? I don't know. Okay. Um, ask me again in a year. We'll see what happens. Okay. If DeSantis like literally sabotages it with it like is, a, a stick of dynamite. And a, it is a it is a matter of life and death, isn't it? Yes, it is matter of life and death. Which is, there's no A today. Today's episode there's no a what huh hi i'm mark this hi, is matt. I'm matt there's nope. no a in the title it is matter of life and death oh is it okay oh because he's matter right yeah he's yep. okay he's the See, only person who's matter that's why you do the trivia because so you learn these things yes it's amazing how the trivia told me why it was called that it didn't actually um <laughs> this is the trivia though uh, Matter of Life and Death is Episode 2, Season 1 of Space 1999. It aired on November 27th, 1975. The screenplay was written by Art Wallace and Johnny Byrne. The former wrote two episodes of Star Trek, and the latter will be on deck to write a total of 11 episodes of Space 1999. Uh, this episode was directed by Charles Crichton, or Crichton? Crichton, possibly? Sure. Uh, I don't know. I don't have Michael Crichton's spelling in front of me. Right. Uh, he'll be on deck for a total of 14 episodes of Space 1999, as well as the film Alien Attack. Yeah, he learn, previously learn how to say his name then. Well, 14 uh, times you'll have to screw it up. I will screw it up 14 times. Okay. Uh, he previously directed two episodes of Danger Man, as well as films like Here Come the Double Deckers and The Strangers. In between, wait. The Strangers in Between is the title of the film. I didn't capitalize all of it. Okay. Uh, as well as several educational and training videos, many featuring John Cleese. His final film would be A Fish Called Wanda in 1988. Uh, our guest star this week is Richard Johnson as Lee Russell. He was a British actor who is one of many people who turned down the role of James Bond. He continued working until his death in 2015. You can see him in other works such as Turtle Diary, the Crucifer of Blood, and The Bleak Old Shop of Stuff. Well, you're telling me we don't live in the reality where James Bond is Dick Johnson? <laughs> <laughs> Dick, 
James Bond, the re is the real James Bond. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I feel like he's not even the first person we've talked about turning down James Bond coming off of doing like 17 prisoner episodes. Yeah, but he's that the first one that was that that could be nicknamed Dick Johnson. Maybe. I mean, you could call anybody Dick Johnson if you want. Yeah, yeah. They might so not anyway, respond, though. Anyway, Dick, uh, apparently one of the parrots used in the Terranova scenes learned the word cut and would always say cut right after the director yelled action. This parrot was replaced. I was really excited because at first, you know, in England, uh, I thought you had an N in that word, too. And I was like, that would be like hysterical if the parrot was doing that on set. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's like now parrots can like order things through your Alexa. That's probably why you never see parrots and in, in stuff anymore. Mm, except they're all the set of Terra Nova. If they're I'm all fired. Well, I mean, any more meanings in the past fifty-five years. <laughs> well, I might be. I might be overdoing that. What's that? Your forty? Were you still forty-seven gone? years? I'm okay. going to uh, now do a little spotlight on one of our main casts since we're. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. A uh, we'll start with Martin Lando because he is the commander. Uh, born in 1928 in Brooklyn, New York. Hey, happy 95th birthday. He was hired by the New York Daily News at age 17 where he soon became an illustrator. His real passion was acting. In 1951, he made his debut in a play called Detective Story and made his off-Broadway debut the same year. He was accepted into the Actress Studio in 1955 along with Steve McQueen and the three of them Wait, and they spent the 50s riding around on motorcycles with James Dean. I put the three of them in the wrong place in that sentence. Because you hadn't mentioned uh, James Dean yet. Well, now James Dean is here, and, and soon he'll be gone. Uh, oh, and also uh, acting. Oh, oh, and also acting. This is why I shouldn't wait till after I've written my notes to do these because I forgot what what the the uh, the pacing of any of this was. He mm. made his movie debut in 1959 in the film film Porkshop Hill, but it was his role in Alfred Hitchcock's North by Northwest as a heavy named Leonard that really put him on the map. You can actually hear an episode of Films and Filth that we did on that film from earlier this year. Uh, he appeared in a few more TV and film projects in the next few years, including two Twilight Zone episodes, and was Gene Roddenberry's first choice to play Mr. Spock on Star Trek, but the role obviously went to win Leonard Nimoy, who in turn would replace Martin Lando on Mission Impossible. Speaking of Mission Impossible, that show began in 1966 and co-starred Lando and his wife, Barbara Bain, who he married in 1957. Lando played a character named Roland Hand? Roland Hand? Rolling hand, rolling hand. I say rolling, but uh, rolling hand. He was rolling. <laughs> he was always year, rolling joints in this last, show. Uh, he was, was only supposed last to... year when I when I when I had some money to blow. I, I ended up being animated Batman and Batman sixty six instead of the Mission Impossible box. So I could be super familiar with it, but now I'm very familiar with Batman. Well, get this: I bought the animated Batman box set about a year ago and i haven't watched any of it yet i think i watched three episodes on that i watched an awful lot of batman 66 though so i gotta say if i bought batman 66 at the same time i still wouldn't have watched any of either of them mm. um oh and uh anyway did you where was i on this paragraph mission impossible began in 1966 okay now i jump back too far hey if you have adhd get treatment 
<laughs> That's public service announcement. Uh, Lando is only supposed to be an occasional guest star but when producers had issues with the star Stephen Hill. Lando was made a series regular to take up the slack. He got several Emmy nominations for the role and won a Golden Globe. In 1969, when Sir Peter Graves was given a contract that paid him more than Landau, he and Bane both quit because he had a contract that guaranteed him equal pay with anyone else in the series. And the show went on another four years without them. I don't really understand how you can have a contract and they could just break the contract. I don't know if that means... Wasn't that the deal with the Friends? When friends, they they were all supposed to get paid the same, and they all wanted way too much money, and that was kind of a, a thing in the nineties. I think there was something where the the head of the network put an ad out in Variety that said, "Coming soon, the third season of Friends, the final season. Say goodbye to Friends," and then they folded immediately. <laughs> something <laughs> funny like that. They should have done uh, Mission Impossible. They should have done that with Friends and canceled it in season three. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, he took a few more roles, including a pilot for a Steven Spielberg show called Savage that did not get picked up. And he and Bane both moved to England in the seventies to star in space 1999. Hey, that's the show we're talking about. Uh, his and Bane's careers both stalled after the series was over and he took occasional films and occasional roles in films like death blow, a cry for justice. That is one title and the return of the $6 million man and the bionic woman. Uh, they divorced in 1993 and neither ever remarried. However, people of a certain age probably know him from his portrayal of Bela Lugosi in Tim Burton's 1994 film Ed Wood, for which he won a Best Supporting Actor Oscar. Actor Oscar. Actor Oscar. <laughs> Mark's brain is exploding today. Uh, he continued acting until his death in 2017 at the age of 89. His final role was Abe and Phil's Last Poker Game. Uh, it's a good last movie and. to do. I mean, just because it's last poker it has the game, word last for, in it for true. Yeah. Um, here's a question: What director? Not not from sudden death. This is like a just your career like fades out. Are there any directors who ended with one of their best movies? This is directors, not actors. Not sudden death, like they retired. Yeah, just like they, you know, like like Hitchcock made Family Plot and died a few years after that. But Family Plot is definitely not one of his best movies. I don't even know what Family Plot is. That's Hitchcock's um, last movie. Okay. Well, we can definitely rule out George Lucas. We can rule out Ridley Scott. Mm. Um, could I would Ridley say have Taren... one more in him? Ridley could uh, have one more in him. Do you have any faith that it'll be good? I mean, it'll be one of his best? I mean, no, but it's... I, I, for some reason, that seems like in the realm of possibility that he could, like, you know, bop out a real good one at the end. I don't. Sorry. Yeah, had, there are a lot of. Other. I've seen not all of his recent films, but a few of them, and it's like usually there are at least some scenes that are pretty decent. Um. You uh, had a yeah. name. You were naming someone. I was gonna say Tarantino has probably the best shot at that. Oh yeah, because he's like next one's my last one. So if he manages not to make a piece of crap, then he's he's good for that. I don't believe anyone when they say let next one's my last one, but I don't think he's made anything that's just total garbage except maybe death proof, which I mean, most people wouldn't, many people would not even it was call also that a bad supposed movie. to be garbage. The point of the movie was to be garbage. Yeah. It was that, that, um, that compilation called garbage house. Yes. <laughs> garbage house. Um, I guess you got a plot for us then. 
I do. Well, but do you have an answer to that question? Do you can you think of a of an, a director that ended on a good note and then retired? Oh no, no, no! That's why I was asking you the question. <laughs> oh, I just yeah, I just I, I don't. I think that generally, much like politicians, directors retire much later than they should. Right, because there's a lot of actors who do have that like you know last blowout, right? But that's basically because they're being wheeled into do what they do best for a few minutes and and then they die right you can do that i think that i think that when you're an actor you can kind of take something from your imminent demise or from old age like you can use that to propel you into greatness i think that's kind of what ed wood was because it wasn't just not only was that basically the year after he got divorced or i guess they filmed it the year he got divorced but i mean it was him playing uh, a man who was sort of i mean lugosi's story is interesting and that was like the end of his life and he's right. sort of playing the, s- somebody really important in a really good movie like uh, yeah i'm just kind of throwing out there that an actor emetrius can be used to better i mean uh vincent price and edward scissorhands there you go there's a yeah. pretty blowout ending for an actor right i mean uh, i mean a good I way mean, i think in most cases I can't think of a good actor who did a lot of like bad stuff towards the end of their life. Well, there's like, people that kind of just fade away and you're like, Hey, this like, like, um, Sean Connery, right. He didn't act for the last, like, yeah, he retired his life. Exactly. And, so. and I mean, okay. I did fall asleep almost immediately in league of extraordinary gentlemen, but I'm sure that wasn't his fault. <laughs> yeah. He could have been a wizard. I did. Yeah. I'm sure he, I'm sure he did great. I, um, I don't know. Alec Guinness was <laughs> good as Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> like, yeah, but he didn't like that I, role. I think, I know. That's why he was incredibly drunk during the first movie. <laughs> you can tell. You could tell that he's incredibly drunk during the first movie and that he's incredibly sober when he shows back up as a force ghost. Right. That's like, I guess fun. death does sober you up pretty good. <laughs> death is very sobering. Um, he stopped doing death sticks. As it might be in this episode, I guess. Matter, it, matter. Of in this episode, I'll tell you what's the matter. What's the matter you? Uh, the summary of the plot. Uh, while returning from checking out a nearby planet called Terra Nova that seems like it could support human life, two men on an Eagle shuttle are electrocuted and pass out. When the ship returns to Moonbase Alpha, there's suddenly a third person on board and it's Helena Russell's husband, Lee, who allegedly died in Jupiter's orbit five years earlier. She starts communicating with him while he is in the medical unit. Meanwhile, the crew has been observing his vital signs, and it seems like he isn't actually alive and may, in fact, only be showing vitals when Helena is in the room with him. Lee starts warning people not to visit Terra Nova, but then when his warnings go unheeded, he appears to die, and tests seem to reveal that his body has started turning into antimatter. Commander Koenig, believing that they are all free from Lee's influence, immediately lands, leads a search party to land on Terra Nova and investigate. They find a tropical paradise with space palm trees and space parrots. Victor then interrupts their space paradise vacation, telling them that the seals on the Alpha are weakening and all the plastics are melting. As Koenig works to recall the landing party, the situation seems to get worse. Paul's laser explodes, killing him. Sandra suddenly loses her vision. The eagle they flew in on explodes. The moon explodes. A dust storm envelops them, and Koenig is crushed by a rock. Lee then appears to Helena alive. 
He explains that the incident in Jupiter's orbit changed him into something else and coincidentally ended up on that planet, but that she and the rest of the crew cannot stay there. He tells Selena that they can see what that she can see what she wants to see, and when she opens her eyes, the crew and the tropical paradise have returned as well as Moonbase Alpha. She and Koenig, along with a search party, return to Moonbase Alpha and continue their journey to look for planets that can actually sustain human life without doing what that planet just did. So you're going to go along, along with this is a total recall ending and the rest of the show, the rest of the series is a, is a fever dream. Oh, no, this is a Gilligan's Island ending. Oh, okay. How, how so? Um, it's like everything is perfect except, whoops, you can't, you can't go there. Keep going. Keep moving. I guess it's, I guess it's, along. A, I guess it's a reverse Gilligan's Island. Okay, yeah. Well, this, if the island is... It'd be like they live on Terra Nova and then Moonbase Alpha is passing by and it makes all, the, all your plastic melt. Maybe lost in space is a better metaphor. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that kind of works, I guess. At least for, for one of season. the two seasons where they're actually flying around. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, I kind of felt like Terra Nova was like Planet Less Baxter with a combination <laughs> of music and the, and the parrots, which I like because I don't think Lost in Space or, or original Star Trek quite ever got the Exotica vibe like like they did in this episode. Yeah, it was it was close. I do I continue to really appreciate the uh, style of this series. However, like I, like I would not have been surprised to see them strolling around with like a zombie in hand, you know, four kinds of rum. My this tie. was unfortunately one of those things where I was interested in what was happening until I realized that what was happening was 2001: A Space Odyssey. And then, but then I'm like, oh, but then Prometheus came along and ripped this off. (laughs) That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, the 2001 ending is, I guess this is also somewhat ambiguous, but not 2010. Is that a better one? Yeah, because then we see what happens to him afterwards. That's a better one. Yeah, because yeah, it is because 2001 works better because you don't really know what's happening and in 2010, it's like, hey, it's me, Dave. I am Space Fetus. Don't go to um, Terra Nova. I mean, Europa. <laughs> okay, so when did Arthur C. Clarke write 2010 then? That that would be an interesting uh, bit uh, to, to learn because, you know, this is a, this first or that first? I think the 19... movie is somewhat different than the book, too. 82. Oh, okay. Well, we're gonna give space okay. nineteen ninety nine point then. <laughs> yeah, but it's still that's still a sort of I was around Jupiter and I got changed into something. Still is, a, I don't know. I haven't read the story that two thousand one is based on. It might have more of those elements in it. Have you read the or book or the story? Uh, I'm not. I don't think so. It's on my iPad. Okay, but well, I, well there I, you go. It does explain a lot more. Like he's transformed. Blah blah blah. Um. You know, of course, in 2010, at least the um, movie, I'm not sure about the book, but, you know, he goes, well, I think the idea is that they, you have to turn your nukes off. Is that it? Earth has to unnuke themselves. What, 2010? Uh, yeah. Maybe. Maybe that's an Arthur C. Clarke strain. Yeah. Anyway, you know, I watched the Space 1999 episode and, and did not drown. You know, I got a few months before I have to think about 2001 again. So, OK, well, I'm looking at the summary of the book for 2001 and it's more like the end of Contact where it's like Dave kind of gets shown a bunch of stuff 
and then he's turned into the star child at the end. Okay. And then, then he goes back to Earth and detonates a warhead. Okay, so, that's what I, I... I guess that's from the cool. book, because the movie definitely does... Well, it shows him rolling up his, his space fetus at the end, but it doesn't show him blowing up a warhead in the movie. That would have been a yeah, cool ending. This is one of those where, once again, Kubrick made it more interesting than the writer did. <laughs> uh, or once again, or before I, The Shining. Yeah. So the one that came, popped in my head a little bit on this is the Star Trek episode, The Alternative Factor, where we have um, Lazarus fighting his antimatter self through space, time, and infinity. And it's, it's, a, it's like a pretty bad Star Trek episode, but I love it because it's shot so weird and has so many weird psychedelic effects that it's like, it's, it's one of those where I like, I know this episode is terrible, but um, I still love it. Whereas this one is, you know, pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at that episode and I've definitely seen it quite a while ago. Yeah. Yeah. You get the image of the dude like fighting himself in like the weird mm-hmm. antimatter space. So, um, this guy, you know, Lee in this one's a lot more chill. Well, no, he sounds like Satan sometimes, so that's not chill. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, I have complicated feelings about it because this definitely feels like we're throwing sci- hard sci fi out the window immediately because it's yeah. kind of entirely ridiculous that you yeah. found a dead guy and he's, it's more like a ghost story, but, but then, the, like you said, the whole, like, antimatter matter thing i mean it made me think of also a, a much later thing with event horizon where with sam neil like like i feel like if you hung up with this guy like long enough you're gonna end up with event horizon stuff you know that's why you get off the planet yeah and the thing is event horizon was basically better until the thing where stan neil sam neil just shows back up as a muscle-bound dude and is just <laughs> trying to fight everyone with the flamethrower it's just What's like the movie, just like the movie Sunshine, where I feel like the first two thirds of that are incredible, and then the end of it is just a bad version of Event Horizon. Like yeah, it's I, it's I a felt weird that thing. The where, first time I saw Sunshine, but once I knew that the movie was going to take that turn and watched it, I I didn't mind it so much. Hmm. Well, maybe I'll rewatch. I I mostly don't like Danny Boyle, but um. Anyway. <laughs> I, I do like the thing is though I do like uh Alex uh God, what's his name? The writer of it. The guy who also wrote Ex Machina and Alex Garland. I like okay. Alex Garland a lot. Um but I feel like just generally films and TV shows that have like omniscient guy in space just cannot resist having them eventually get all murdery at the end of whatever it is. No, this, and this could- is that could At least be an ordery thing. If this were like six episodes in, which I think is production order, would it land better with you? Yeah, as episode two, it, it's kind of yeah. like, like, yeah, like straight into I, crazy town. Well, it's, it's not just that, but I don't necessarily want to know, like, Dr. If Dr. Russell's dead husband shows back up immediately, that's <laughs> that is not great for like uh, suspense. Like, I just met this woman. <laughs> yeah. You know? Uh, although you don't want to get too far away because if he, he you know disappeared around Jupiter, you, you don't want to be too far out of the solar system before we uh, run I mean, into the sky, right? does he care? He can do anything he wants. He can make parrots. <laughs> I mean, it's just this thing where I haven't had enough time to sit with like 
with Dr. Russell's grief or solitude or whatever it is that, that, I mean, but to be fair, she basically was like, yeah, it's like, I, I mean, that was also kind of a realistic reaction where she's like, yeah, I've already grieved this guy. I already feel like he's dead. So I don't really feel anything, which is kind of the good, the appropriate reaction since he was basically not a person. Oh yeah. I mean, he, out of what, 15, is he, let's say 15 minutes of screen time. Does that sound about right? for this guy like yeah probably on screen. so probably. i feel like he only talks like a normal person for two of those minutes probably i mean barely even that he might have just forgotten to do the character when he did that <laughs> that could be the case i'm saying i don't i don't remember if my set here gives me production order or not but this, I, yeah. I mean it, it also kind of reminds me of maybe a better version of the ghost sex episode of star trek the next generation oh yeah yeah that, that's a that's a great episode too though I mean, it is. It was especially <laughs> great when I was like 13 years old and watching it. But I mean, it's great for, for the all the wrong time. reasons. Yeah, Weirdly, my favorite <laughs> great TNG reference. episodes, or and I'm not actually calling that my favorite one, but my favorite TNG episodes tend to be Doctor Crusher episodes, which I find interesting. Like Remember Me, where everyone starts disappearing from the ship, and of course, cause and effect with the ship blows up. Both of those are technically like Doctor Crusher episodes. I think she's great. She has. She acts like a doctor. Not Pulaski acts like a doctor. Oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's like you you hate Pulaski, but it's at the same time you have to respect Pulaski for making you hate her so much. Well, she's almost always right. That's the problem. But she just yeah. does it. She's right very aggressively and like in a way that <laughs> makes people unhappy. <laughs> yeah, she's just she's like that thing where somebody comes over. It's like you want somebody to be able to tell you the hard truths that that your friends won't necessarily tell you, but then it's like, it's like as if the one person who's like that is also really obnoxious about it. Like, like dear, you really should think of losing some weight. Well, they wanted like her that. to, they wanted to make her more like a McCoy. Right. And mm -hmm. I guess that doesn't, a McCoy does not fit well in the next generation crew. <laughs> well, I think, uh, I think the doctor, the, the hologram from Voyager is a better McCoy than, <laughs> <laughs> well oh, but right. then again then again he has all those layers of like i'm a i'm 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 a program so yes. that's he has a bunch of stuff going on how how about the doctor here i'm just like we just mentioned the, the tng female huh? doctors and we have one here who seems i mean she's pretty businessy but not as curmudgeonly i guess yeah um i feel like i haven't really gotten to know most of the main cast all that well well, she does have. That's why I said with the 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 leads, um, they have a certain like I guess professional coldness. The same thing, and we were talking in two thousand one. People are like the the astronauts seem like humans, and that's because they're, you know, in deep space with professional coldness. I guess, which is also the case with these folks, because some of the crew members that are not, you know, don't have like instances of command or a, a little more. Hu they act more human <laughs> um i suppose I, the funny thing is like why do i remember this series is like martin lando always yelling at people and it's not like that at all no i don't think he yells that much did Maybe i just see a two. specific episode where he just yelled a lot yeah, he probably gets possessed and yells at people occasionally that sort of thing you know right. I, I, I think he gets he you know he gets shouty here and there he's a commander commanders have to shout sometimes I know. I mean, Picard shouts. 
Oh yeah, he's got but a great shout. Not anymore, but he used to have a great shout. I think he, yeah. I mean, um, it's still great. It's just blown out now when he shouts, right? Because he's eighty something. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he knows. He probably knows how to use his voice because he was trained. He probably took like twenty thousand hours of voice lessons just to do like Shakespeare in a theater with no microphones. Right. I mean, I loved that last season of Picard, but his voice is blown out a little bit, you know, because <laughs> he's old. That was <laughs> sort of yeah. That was sort of a bummer about Anthony Hopkins, like recent Anthony Hopkins things. Is like he can't really yell anymore it's like it's like we've always had anthony hopkins look kind of like an older guy mm. but going back and watching dracula he had this like just screaming and physicality where it's like you're kind of scared of him he's like a bear <laughs> but now he's, he's sort of like this you know mm, exactly and, who, and who, also who's... there was that marvel movie where it was obvious that he was just like well i'm going to die now and collect my paycheck yeah, there's sure, no not? reason for him to fucking die in that <laughs> Sorry. There's no reason for him to die in that movie other than he's like, well, I'm done. <laughs> I I did that. Like I, you know, I I actually appreciate Bruce Willis's last two years where on IMDb his average rating was 4.0. But the reason he made 20 pictures in two years is because he knew he wasn't going to be able to make any more after that and wanted to uh, make some money for not, his family first. That is not what happened. It's not okay. That's he that's, had an he had like an agent or an agency that just booked him for everything they possibly could just to make as much money off of him as oh, possible before he was oh, unable to before he was unable to like read remember lines at all anymore. Mm-hmm. Like apparently, even in like Die Hard four and five, he was incredibly difficult to work with because he kept forgetting lines and was angry that he kept forgetting lines. Mm. And so four, that was I a think long time ago. I think everything he's been in the last few years has been like just a sad exploit exploitation of like a dying man, even though I apparently a couple of those are really good, but I don't know which ones. Oh, I mean, give it 20 years and I, you look well, back no. and you have this amazing schlock run. That's probably, you know, hopefully at least, you know, enough for a fun film festival. Uh, well, we anyway, know, you, you we know you have my... a Nicolas Cage film festival. Like we could just start a podcast now every Nick Cage film and we'd be going for like three years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had thoughts about that. Uh, well, you could do a Murray cast, you know, then that could be fun until he finally completely 100% manages to cancel himself or something. He's pretty close. <laughs> so maybe that one's not such a... I don't know. Is Nick, like, is Nick I was Cage watching the new Ant-Man. I was watching the new Ant-Man and was like, huh, some, at least one of these people probably got screamed at and threatened by both Jonathan Majors and Bill Murray on the same day. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, getting back to this episode, how do you feel about uh Barry Morse's role here? Because he he see like he's kind of put in as the third main, right? But he gets jettisoned in season two. And as I'm looking hmm. at my notes, I'm like, well, he didn't really do much here. <laughs> I mean, the, that's the thing. He's, he's very class, right? I think he's <laughs> great, but yeah, he doesn't have a whole lot to do, and it's kind of op- like t- several of the main cast seem that they are here to appear on screen and tell you things well that's that's kind of normal on this kind of thing like like of I course. Mean, original series star trek again you know the other than the three main leads the 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 other characters do way less than you remember them doing you know when you watch well, of course <laughs> you know the the uh the star trek movies i'm sure did a ton of heavy lifting as far as like characterization right like, i guess scotty got a fair amount in the original series but yeah yeah um Takei, the other Koenig, you know, they didn't they didn't get a whole lot in that original show. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and then 
uh, Sean Nichols was basically just like the fact. Well, she wanted to quit, and you know, apparently, it was Martin Luther King was like, "You should yeah. stay because you're a black woman on a primetime show regular." So, <laughs> even yeah, if you I don't mean, have I that hope... much to do, just being there is important. I hope she didn't regret that, and it makes it an amazing story. No, I, I don't think she regretted that. Unless she just hate. It seems like she enjoyed going to the conventions. If she hated going to the conventions, then she would regret it. But I, th- I think the only one who's really regrets their participation in the long, long term would be George Takei. But he's doing great on like social media, and oh yeah, loves he's him. Kind of owning it. He's America's grandpa now, right? So he's great. I wish he was my grandpa. <laughs> he's America's grandpa, so you can claim him. Okay. <laughs> and I mean, even even though we know that Shatner has kind of been a jerk to people at times, he did have that really cool thing that he said when he went to actual space. He's your crazy great uncle. I saw him on a panel at Dragon Con a couple of years ago, and it was very entertaining. <laughs> he was great. Well, I'm sure he's entertaining. You just uh, just dealing with him sounds like it can be quite um trying sometimes did you Probably. ever hear the, the weird stories about um henry rollins hanging out with with william shatner no i think he talked about him on his on a pot on his podcast once that that's worth listening to it's a totally sure. bizarre story of, because of they henry were both rollins on becoming like, buddies with shatner <laughs> yeah they were both on like that didn't he show up on that william shatner record that ben folds produced or something that could have been the case that might be where they I, yeah i don't i don't remember it's been like three years since i listened to that podcast anyway um, hmm. okay uh, yeah I, I do really like that that william shatner went to space and he released this touching statement that was like i realize that none of this matters and we just need to preserve the earth please save the earth we don't have anything but earth we just have earth which is really important right now Moonbase alpha doesn't have earth nope they get this base alpha is Moonbase Alpha is exactly what will happen if we let just Elon Musk dump garbage on the moon <laughs> for the next like five hundred years or something. I I'm just spitballing because minus, I don't think minus that, twenty five years. I don't we'll think do fifty years of waste would actually do this. But he'll put the waste on in reverse time, so the moon explodes in nineteen ninety nine as it's supposed to. Yeah, I. would unfortunately cannot imagine it'll be antimatter which goes backwards in time <laughs> i cannot imagine a, a reality in which we would have accumulated enough nuclear waste to launch the moon at like a near speed of light i mean let's get, let's get back to the that's not really hard science either right uh, nope now, now here's a hard science movie that could kind of dovetail in with this um solaris you know, a few years earlier, they don't go on to Solaris. I guess it's supposed to be an ocean world, right? But if it had land and they landed on it, I feel like Solaris would be kind of like this place. I haven't actually seen it. Okay. You could probably watch the Clooney one and get the main point because the original is r- r- great, but it's and if you think Kubrick's slow. Um, <laughs> and, I don't uh, really mind slow. And, it, and it's three hours. It's three hours slow in Russian. Like there's five minutes of him staring at reeds with Bach playing, you know. I That's cannot it. remember the last movie I saw where I was like, "This is too slow." I don't, uh, I don't the, mind slow generally. No, the cool thing is, uh, space travel in that movie is um, a metaphor of of shots driving down the Tokyo highways with hmm. all the tunnels and stuff, bridges. Okay. So that's like the space travel in that movie. It's like metaphor because they didn't have like, you know, a budget because it was a Soviet movie. Interesting. (laughs) 
Well, so, I mean, yeah. you know, the, there's all sorts of different ways to film your space movie. Unless you're Tom Cruise, then it will be simulated in some way. But yeah, the like I'd say the original's better, but the newer one is pretty good. It, it definitely has more entertainment punch, right? Because it's a Hollywood, you know, more modern like Hollywood Soderbergh movie, and um, it gets the main points across. It has cool production, and it's only ninety minutes, so it's it's kind of like, do you want to uh, read the Bible or just watch an episode of Bible Man? I mean, have you ever seen the film World on a Wire? I have not. It's a German movie that basically, it's like The Matrix, but with no special effects. It's just everything looks really cool, and then the guy eventually finds out he's in a simulation. Oh, okay. Um, and there's, yeah, there's like no special effects at all. It's um, 204 minutes long. Uh, incredible film. I recommend this film to everybody. Wait, how it's long did you just say it was? 204 minutes. Yeah, that's where you lost me a little bit. Okay. <laughs> I think you would enjoy it. It's really good. I'd have to have that much time. It's this year, right? Okay. Yeah. I'll make you watch it for my birthday next year. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I actually, I can't, I can't in good conscience do that, but I, I still highly recommend it. Okay. You never know. Um, when Lee does first show up, I just had like this alternate episode go in my mind because especially sleeping, he looks like Mr. Bean. So I was like, <laughs> he how, looks fun would like this, Mr. Bean all the time. how fun would this be if it like kind of uh, turned into like a sci-fi Mr. Bean episode? That would be great. Yeah, that would definitely improve this if he was a sci-fi Mr. Bean. Like he was just, it's like he would just, you'd just be minding your business and he would just show up behind you staring and then like <laughs> drop something on you. Press a few buttons disappear. and then half yeah. the moon base explodes. <laughs> yeah, he just disappears like, <laughs> So... So this, you could look at this episode as kind of a, uh, you know, disturbing Mr. Bean episode because the stuff that goes on the planet, I mean, that's like like the violent side of Mr. Bean where everyone's like dying. So what? What? Okay, this I, is. I think I don't think it was intended like this, but it's basically it's Gurn of Eden again. Yeah, a little bit. I don't know. Okay, here's right? what it's I like. Think. We found it. It's cool. We found a planet. Nope, for reasons you cannot be here. <laughs> well okay so they go and also down, and we could be like at, paradise is like paradise with your husband is alive mm. you can't have any of it for so the, reasons the last act of the episode is basically dr russell's perspective right so she watches the moon mm -hmm. blow up she watches everyone die and then everything gets kind of reset so what what do you read happened well you could also read that as she wants to be with dr koenig and feels super guilty about it so she manifested like absolute chaos and then finally accepted that she was allowed to go on, on with her life after her husband being dead so what's manifesting that is she hallucinating is it happening and time is being reversed I when she could have manifested lee for all we know he's not a, he's not really a guy Actually, that makes sense from the Solaris position because um, in Solaris, the the guy on the space station um, just orbiting manifests his dead wife and mm -hmm. or or whatever, and then and then he ch keeps trying to get rid of her by like putting her out the airlock and stuff, and he just she just keeps coming back. <laughs> I mean, speaking of George Clooney, like Sandra Bullock manifested him in Gravity a bunch of times, didn't she? I think they were just. I don't think she was supposed to be. I think they were just both out in space. I think he was dead, though. What, the whole time? I think he was dead early on, and then she was just sort of imagining him telling her what she needed to hear. 
Really? I feel like after he dies in that movie, we don't hear from him anymore. But I only watched it once in the theater. So, and that was what, what 10 years ago? Oh. Me too. And I'm not going to watch it again. Hmm. It's like if I want to watch that, I'll watch Interstellar, you know? I'm not going to watch that either. Yeah. Oh, wait, yes, I'll, I probably will. I'm going to watch Interstellar eventually, but uh, not not for fun, I guess, for journalism. <laughs> for I'll fun. watch it for fun. Some of it'll be fun. I like the robots. They were cool. I like that movie. I think it's a good movie. Okay. <laughs> I mean,. It's cool. You have kids. You're allowed to believe that you could just go jump in a black hole and see them. Mm. How about That's the different. Martian? How does the Martian rate with you? I like the Martian a lot. I love the Martian. I liked it better than Interstellar. Okay, I like Interstellar better than Martian. I, uh, well, the the Martian is like a uh, what do you call it? Like a clockwork thing where you're watching it. You're watching a plan. It's like a heist movie, but he's like heisting himself off the planet. Can we assume he goes in the wrong direction? Interstellar is in fact a sequel to The Martian sure why not (laughs) (laughs) i I think he makes in the end so that doesn't work but unless he goes on another mission yeah i certainly did complain about twice i certainly did complain about ridley scott a lot earlier to be saying how much i liked the the martian but that's why i kind of brought it up i'm like that's i mean that's obviously not his last movie it's like he could 10 years ago like but if that were if that were his last movie if he were to make a movie of about that caliber now you'd be like he ended on a pretty good note right yeah, but it still wouldn't be one of his best. Okay. <laughs> it's in in fact, I mean, it, he almost gets out of the way of that movie more than now. It's it's been so long since I've seen it. It came out in 2015. I've only seen it once, like most things. Just like this episode, talking about memories that you can't quite, you know, remember. Um, I want to talk about how much of this is existential dread and how much of it's like fun sci-fi. Uh it's fun dread it's fun dread okay because i actually felt it was pretty sci-fi maybe because i was thinking of the alternative factor with lee right but Mm -hmm. then once he starts talking about what he actually is you know with about 10 minutes left to go that's where i feel like the the key turns and now the the dread factor is is much higher what's a ghost story but also how much dread can you really have in an episodic tv series where you know most people who are not red shirts are going to live well, I guess my point with Space 1999 is um, the dread, existential dread, is how close do they come to death in each episode? I mean, you know, they do knock off characters I mean, here and there. They but, uh, literally die in this episode and then come back. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of that's why I was like, what exactly happened there? You know, do they get resurrected? Do they actually die and get resurrected by this planet? Was They cured death. They cured death in the second episode. Yeah. So again, for, I, I'm like, it's from Dr. Russell's perspective. So how much of it is it real? And that's where I was like, oh, are you, do you want to go with the Total Recall thing where she I, actually just watched everything end and, and now the rest of the series is her hopeful fever dream? I mean, Total Recall doesn't really do that, does it? Does Isn't Total Recall basically you see what happened and either it happened or it didn't? Like okay. it didn't nothing but, went, nothing was undone. I'm trying to think of... Um, well, if it is There's all a recall some, trip, all of it would be a hallucination, right? Because or but you never see, space. you never ever see like what if Quaid was a real person. You never ever see what the aftermath of his life is. True, you, you completely follow him into the, you follow him into the Matrix or into the Mars or into the into the John Matrix, whatever it is. I mean, that's the best the best part of that is just that, uh, that you know, if you ask Schwarzenegger or ask Verhoeven, they'll give you opposite answers, which is fantastic. Yes. <laughs> it's the only part of why that's one of the best movies ever made. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is something 
there's something I cannot remember where you see everyone die and then it's like, oh, oh, um, <laughs> didn't Q do that <laughs> in Star Trek Next Generation? That yeah, happened at it, least yeah. once, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like, and then Riker brings died. him back, yeah, because he has Q right. powers. Yeah, so it's like that. Okay. So, so this is sort of like Q if Q was kind of a drag. Yeah, had no sense of humor and occasionally talked like Satan. <laughs> Which, to be fair, I think done that. omniscient an omniscient person might not be very fun. Yeah, I mean, if this wouldn't be... A, I mean, if they had had Trelane or Q on this, you know, like the eccentric, wacky, omnipotent dude, that, that would not work in this episode <laughs> at all. But again, but again, it's like I bring I, that brings me back to the Garden of Eden metaphor because, like, most religions, God have a have a God that is no fun at all. This guy is kind of like that. Like so, you, you would. Uh, so your thesis is God is a bummer. I my thesis is Saturn makes you into a god, and then you just bring down everybody's energy around you. Not Jupiter. Wait, was it Jupiter? He says ah. Jupiter. Well, there's Jupiter, an, it was Jupiter. I just get those mixed up. Well, you the read ring. the 2001 plot. All ringed the planets book. look the same. I'm sorry. I'm I, not I, racist. I, I, Jupiter is a tiny ring. Uh, no, I, I think the book it was. Saturn, <laughs> it's a good size. It became Jupiter in the movie 2001 because it was too hard to make the rings. That was uh, in Silent hmm. Running takes place around around Saturn because Douglas Trumbull was like, hey, I figured it out. <laughs> huh. I didn't did not know that. Yeah, it was easier to do Jupiter on screen, and I, I do like that he eventually did figure out how to do Saturn as well. So, but if this show, if this episode is consciously making a reference point to two thousand one, of course they'd probably want to go with the movie version and say Jupiter, right? Yeah, I I think they just flipped a coin and picked a planet, and they decided not to use Uranus, mm, which is they should have. They should have. I came was- from Uranus. I was changed by Uranus. I got lost around Uranus. <laughs> I disappeared now anti- around Uranus. <laughs> I am now antimatter because Uranus turned me inside out. <laughs> yeah, okay. And then then he could have been a wacky Q style omnipotent, omnipotent guy, right? I, did, I don't Uranus think we're starts. in for a whole lot of wacky stuff that is intentionally, deliberately wacky in this, right? Not in season one. Season two is going to be a weird turn of the of the dial, by the way. <laughs> okay, looking forward to it, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's part of the thing in here. Like we're going to do all. That's why I have the dread question because I don't think it's going to apply when we get to season two. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I feel I, like season one is like like basically the most existential dread you'll find in a sci-fi. You know, at least one that has like spaceships and and stuff. Yeah, it's like I can't turn off my modern whatever modern skepticism modern eye where it's like i i see i see that i I know that this crew will be back so i am not particularly worried about them in the long term (laughs) and that's Mm. part of why i think that's part of why so many things are serialized and half-assed serialized and the serialization is done badly because they're like well people aren't going to feel tension unless we um move the story forward what are we going to do i don't know and then you well, have yeah. lost like we were putting on Bates. I said we were watching Bates motel in the house and we watched five episodes. I'm like, this is just, there's so, I mean, it's not a bad show. It's well made a blah, blah, but it's very serialized. And like, why are all these things happening? This is too much. I'm just going to watch psycho where like the, the amount of things that happen is the amount of things that happen. And it seems like, you know, reasonable. 
Well, this is again a reason why you should watch Breaking Bad is because it moves it moves forward but very on a very slow very human scale right so yeah and tv now has trouble with that so um, i think tv even then had trouble with that it's almost like you notice people don't complain about better call Saul because it's sort of stuck to the same thing i think most people just cannot resist dropping tons of breadcrumbs and <clears throat> i mean remember... it's down to a thing like like this show you would have watched weekly and some shows do that uh modern trek does that right where the it, the show's still they're streaming but they come out weekly and then you mm -hmm. or, or the mandalorian you have other things with where it's just like dump you know you're never going to think about a, a specific episode when they've just given you 10 episodes that you're supposed to binge watch episode six no longer matters as episode six right i just don't know how to binge watch unless i'm Unless I really need to clean my room, and I could clean my room while watching all of it in a row, it's just oh, it's, I mean, I, I I don't know. It would take me at least two weeks to watch those ten episodes, but they're all dropped at the same time, and there are people that are going to take a day and watch them all, right? So, well, the funny thing is, the Mandalorian's weekly release worked really well for me until I stopped being interested in the Mandalorian, which was basically season three. I mean, yeah, Boba like, Fett stuff. Uh, the okay, Boba I've, Fett I've, stuff was. Um, but season three isn't particularly good as far as the first few that I've watched. But mainly, Andor came out right in the middle of that, and that was... I liked that so much better that I don't really care what else comes out. And also, I didn't really watch Andor religiously once a week for most of it either. I would be like... Sometimes I'd watch two episodes, sometimes I'd watch watch it when it came out. Just whenever is convenient. I like just whenever it's convenient is what I'm into. I mean, a lot of people are just like, I know a lot of people will wait until the whole thing is out before they touch any of it, which nah, sounds I like, crazy. I, no, I, I, that's why Modern Trek, I very much enjoy doing it weekly, you know? And you yeah, can think Lower about Decks, same thing. Bit. Yeah. Lower Decks, I would watch pretty close to once a week, not, like not not religiously, but when I had a chance, um, I, I definitely, if I knew how good the peanut hamper episode was, I would have watched that immediately. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's, I'm just kind of extolling the benefits of uh, weekly TV and, and episodic sometimes. I, again, this, I think this series is a good, you know, example of episodic working pretty well. Mm -hmm. But I mean, yeah, that's, that's the thing is even if I don't feel a ton of dread, I still prefer this to having a bunch of dumb loose threads that don't even even the prisoner felt like it had like a few things that felt like loose threads that were not picked up and they weren't <laughs> even trying to serialize that yeah so we'll see what happens because we're only on episode two or a later one depending on what list you're looking at but um the, the next <laughs> two, one as far as your life is concerned the next one your schedule we're making next... it for you the next one, although probably not the next one you and I will actually make a podcast for, but the next one that what? listeners will hear, the next next week for the listeners... Stop confusing them. Black Sun. Just think, I didn't say anything but Black Sun. Just think Black Sun. Yeah, feel the Black Sun shine. Oh, no! Sorry, my DVD fell off my bed. Uh, <laughs> so, okay. I, I guess... We'll... Do you always do that when your DVD falls off your bed? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was slightly surprising. Um, okay. as for, I guess I'll wrap it up for today. So as for this podcast, uh, 
we're doing this way in advance. I don't know what the social media is yet, but you can find us on Patreon at Podcastio Podcastius, where we do other podcasts such as the aforementioned Films and Filth, where we talk about the 100 best movies as rated on IMDb, alternated with the 100 worst movies as rated on IMDb. Time Enough Podcast, we talk about The Twilight Zone, Occult Disney. We talk about the weird side of Disney films. And for the gamers, Luke oh. loves Pokemon, about Pokemon families. Hyrule. Interestingly, not to yeah. interrupt, I yeah. did interrupt. You did interrupt. The 2001 The Space Odyssey episode of Films and Filth should be out like really close to this. Okay, so you can have a little bump and compare there. Um, Maybe we'll cross-promote cross, cross promote the, this thing. Yeah. I don't think I said, um, I forgot to say which one. Game, game show where gamers game, game show. each other about games in a game. Okay. In a game. You can't, we can't stay Did you here. say Hyrule Field Report? You said that. I think I said, I think that's where you interrupted me, actually. That's, that's okay. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, we, since it's been about uh, four months, we should all be about, <laughs> they should all be about uh, halfway through Cheers of the Kingdom by now. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, anyway, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Do not come to Terra Nova. All planets besides that are your planets. Go to one of the other ones. Or that has dinosaurs like that short-lived TV show. Yes, not the mama.
sufferings at melting points, lay down of tools upon their set. You know all those sets of fate. You go free from the joint. Before this fugue state so pure, we'll shoot through sodium channels. For the antidote outside the tank, still be sticking to my story. Long memories, my thanks.